We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. You look fallish today, It Jed. was It was below freezing it outside was. this morning. Chilly. Yeah, it's uh, fall was reluctant to come, and now it skipped straight to winter. It is here. For a few days. <laughs> well, whatever the weather may be outside, we're glad you're joining us for our conversation. We're actually addressing something that almost to the day we had come out three years ago. I'm sure everybody remembers it perfectly. I'm okay. sure like yesterday. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, three years ago, we had a discussion about public confession mm -hmm. and specifically the concept of, you know, walk down the aisle after a Sunday service. And we went through a lot of different things, um, probably right here above my head. I'm going to have a link to that old conversation. So if you wanted to start there, that would give you the background and the groundwork. But then, as with what we hope happens with our material, people will use it over time. And here recently, there's been a lot of interest in this one. Uh, lots of people re-watching it, commenting on it. So we wanted to address a few things that came out of those comments. So hopefully with that said, now we're ready for today's topic. Okay. Um, the questioner who, who sent in some more on this is has referenced some passages in the Old Testament about confession. Mm -hmm. And so let's look at two or three there. Let's okay. go first to the book of Joshua. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Yeah, Joshua. Plain old Joshua. <laughs> and let's go to the seventh chapter of Joshua. Okay. This is where in the um, destruction of Jericho, the fall of Jericho, there was this guy named Achan who had sinned against God and taken from some of those things that were devoted things. The, right. the, the word devoted um, means that this is devoted to God and you don't touch any of it. And so um, when they went to a smaller city to attack that smaller city and take it over, uh, the Israelites were routed and on inquiring of God, God told Joshua that Israel had sinned against him and uh, violated uh, the devoted thing. So mm -hmm. uh, what happened was they, they searched by tribe and then by family and then finally got it down to one family. Mm -hmm. And they came across this guy named Achan. Now, start at Joshua 7, 19. Okay, starting there, it says... Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar and two hundred shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, I coveted them and took them. 
And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. All right, so this guy hid his sin, which caused the wrath of God to come upon Israel. Mm -hmm. And it compelled Joshua and the others to seek him out, and they finally found him. And only when they found him mm -hmm. did he admit his sin to the people that found him. It's sort of like yeah. when you get arrested and they have all the evidence, mm -hmm. you admit your sin. And so okay. the result was uh, they took him out and stoned him to death yeah. in verse 25 in all of his family and th then burned him. It's a real positive passage here. Yeah, Dan. yeah. well, it, it illustrates the fact that um, when Israel breaks their covenant with God, there's consequences to pay. Mm. So he did confess, but only because he was forced to. Yeah. And I don't think that is meant to be a model yeah. for all of us today. It's You could go, well, they're, they're trying to say, but he did it publicly, like everyone saw this happen. Well, they only did because... They had to search him out and find him, and I guess those that found him, yeah, he confessed to them. But there's nothing about the whole uh, assembly of Israel came together, and um, he had to confess before them. It wasn't like that. Okay. Let, let's keep looking a little bit. Okay, so we're saying this one isn't quite so prescriptive towards a New Testament model. I don't think so, but it does. Okay. It does exemplify the idea that acknowledgement of our sin, acknowledging that we've sinned, is part of uh, turning to God, not that Achan really turned to God. Mm. Maybe it's more... He was forced to acknowledge it. I was going to say, it's more a sign of, like, sin will be found out one way or the other? Yeah. On one side or the other? So, now let's go to 2 Samuel 12. Okay. The, the commenter also mentioned this passage. And this passage, of course, is when David had taken Bathsheba and, right. and the resultant murder of her husband by putting him in the front of the, mm -hmm. the battle and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, Nathan, the prophet, comes to David and he tells him the story about this guy that had this one little ewe lamb and it was mm -hmm. his pet and he loved it. And this other guy that had all kinds of animals and possessions, he passed through and took this guy's one little ewe lamb and, and uh, butchered it and everything. And so start with verse 5 there, when David hears that story. Yeah, David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now keep going. Nathan then says to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you into the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? All right, so you can stop right there. And he, he also goes on to mention Uriah the Hittite mm -hmm. and all that he did all to him. All the specifics, yeah. So drop down to verse 13. Then in 13, he says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. But nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. All right. So David admitted his sin again because he was compelled to by Nathan the prophet. He, mm. he admitted it. He had it exposed. But it, he had it exposed, but 
the only people that we know were there was David and Nathan the prophet. Mm. And he, again, was was compelled simply to admit it, and then he suffered the consequences for it mm. by the death of his son. So this in no way is a representation of a public confession. Other than? Other than the fact that David wrote psalms mm-hmm. about his experience of rebelling against God and his change of mind and his sin. But even in the Psalms, especially Psalm 32. Mm -hmm. Which we addressed some last time. Yes, but it's okay to do it again. It is okay to do it again, just as a reminder in case you want to get the background there. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it says clearly that we're supposed to remind people Often of the teachings of our it, Lord. We did it three years ago. We did done it that, once three years ago. Count? Big whoop. No. Turn to Psalm 32. <laughs> I'm there. What do we got? go down to about, uh, start at about verse 1 and read a little ways there. Okay. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Notice, I acknowledge my sin to you. Mm -hmm. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Mm. It doesn't say anything there about him going in front of all Israel and and confessing his transgressions. Okay. So, again, the the repentance of David is real. Uh, We see that in his life. We see that in the story. But the idea of having to make a public confession to all Israel is not real. Mm. So that doesn't form any kind of a pattern Uh, that would suggest public confession because we've talked so far about two people that have been confronted and called out for their sin and have admitted it. Mm -hmm. But in no way does this correspond to a penance, which is different than repentance. Okay. Now let me give you a couple of other examples. I was going to say, so so far we're also seeing that there are still consequences and they're having to confess in one way or the other to God— Yes. Because I think a lot of our discussion last time centered around our sins are against God, like justice and righteousness and all these other things are always going to be against God. So yep. ultimately, all confession is directed to him. Yes, and we we do sometimes need to confess our sins to other people, and we're going to get to that. Yeah. But let's go back to 1 Samuel 13. Okay. This is when Saul um, wasn't patient enough to wait for Samuel Mm. uh, at Gilgal when he was about to do battle and Samuel hadn't shown up yet and only a priest was supposed to offer sacrifice. But Saul thought, well, in the circumstances, all compromised and he offered sacrifice. And Samuel got in his face and um, at... Uh, at the end of verse, uh, what is it, 12, mm-hmm. he, Saul says, I felt compelled yeah. to offer the burnt offering. Yeah. And Samuel said... I waited said, seven days. Yeah, yeah, read 13 and 14. And so Samuel says to Saul, you have done foolishly. 
You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be prince over the people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. But there's no indication here that Saul really made any repentance or confession of that sin. Mm -mm. So if you go over to chapter 15, God told him to go destroy the Amalekites. And Mm -hmm. uh, much like Joshua, the spoils and all that were devoted to God. So kill everything and don't take anything. Yeah. So the men talked him into taking King Agag and some others. And so Samuel shows up down here. And if you'll go to verse 17 okay. and start reading there. First Samuel fifteen seventeen. Samuel says, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag the king of the Amalekites, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoils, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. All right, so I obeyed in most of it. Yeah. But we just did a couple things for good reason. And it's the people's fault. The people did it. Yeah. Yeah. But then Samuel's reply in verse 22. Yeah, he says, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice to listen than the fat of rams. All right, now drop down to verse 24. So finally, Saul says, Finally, Saul says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now see, he sinned, and he finally admits it, being being dragged to admit it, Mm -hmm. but uh, he now begs Samuel to forgive him. Yeah. Samuel says, you know, the Lord has rejected you, you know, and again, down in verse 30, Paul replies, I have sinned. Please honor me before the elders of my people. So Samuel goes back with Saul, but then Samuel takes out a sword and and hacks old King Agag to death. Yeah, he does the judgment that was supposed to have come already. Yeah, he does what God already told him to do. But again, here, we don't really have a precedent here for walking the aisle in public and telling everybody you've sinned. He admitted his sin to the one that confronted him about his sin. And um, whether he really repented is in some question because if you read the rest of the story, you know, Saul was a bad boy. Yeah, Saul still doesn't follow things to the T or even close to it sometimes. No, and then he ends up calling up that medium at Endor and Uh getting killed. And anyway... So there's a lot of these things that, even with this, the people who are going to say, but all sin has a public element, they're going to go, well, none of these things happened in a vacuum. So I guess the question is, so how many people does it take to be public? (laughs) Well, again, I don't know of a case in the Bible where sin is classified as public unless, and those words are not used, but unless the entire congregation 
is called upon to discipline somebody. In a, hmm. And in the New Testament setting, that would be in a, in a case of 1 Corinthians 5 of disfellowshipping yeah. someone. So in that case, you know, Matthew 18 has been followed and, mm-hmm. and you've gone to the person and you've gone with one or two more so that everything may be confirmed by witnesses and it's known that this is the case and the person refuses to repent. Yeah. Then you take the person before the church and then you cast them out of the fellowship uh, of God. Uh, and um, they're not allowed to communion or anything like that. So mm. this is a public disciplinary action by the church. Right. And there is no biblical precedent for how that is reversed in Scripture mm. except that. In 2 Corinthians 2, okay, uh, and in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about this guy and that he had repented. Yep. Now, in some way, Paul knew that he'd repented. You know, he yeah. evidently he'd stopped living with his father's wife, and he'd gotten out of that ungodly situation. Mm-hmm. And the church was reluctant to take him back, yeah. as some churches today are reluctant yeah. to take penitent people back until they walk the aisle and confess to the whole church. Yeah. So in some way, it had been confessed publicly enough that Paul has now heard about it. So it's come to people somehow. It had been confessed in the sense that the guy had admitted somehow that he was wrong and had had stopped living in the ungodly situation. Yeah. And he was evidently seeking to come back among Hmm. the church. Now. And Paul's saying... So let him in. Yeah, Paul said, confirm your love to him. Yeah. Your, Satan's going to have a victory if you make it difficult for him to yeah. come back to the church. Yep. So I guess we could conclude that in some way or fashion, it had to be made known that the guy was penitent mm-hmm. by him changing situations. Maybe he talked in private to a person or two and said, look, I'm trying to do right again. Yeah. But evidently that wasn't enough for some of the Corinthians. And Paul said, look, you're about to let Satan win a victory by making him Hmm. work too hard to get back in. So don't do that. So, again, I don't see in that the idea that the guy needs to come before the whole congregation and make a public confession. He could simply, in my view, um, as long as the church leaders know that he's changed his heart and he's trying to do right. They could easily inform the congregation. Because I guess, like I heard this on a, another congregation, they were talking about the issue of sin between people recently, yeah. and the minister made a point of saying, we as the ministers and elders are constantly talking to people and addressing their sins, like the things that we are aware of. So maybe some of you see something and you go, well, when do and when will they address this? And he's he was saying, we are addressing We've it. We've already addressed it, yeah. yeah. But his point in all of that was to say, but it would not be effective to make it known to everyone. Like he said, if the time comes, he said, obviously we would let you know if it mattered. But he said most of the time in order to effectively address someone's sin and try to bring them back, it wouldn't be effective to just kind of air dirty laundry for everybody. Yeah, is you that, have uh, Galatians 6, you know, if a man is overtaken, in a trespass, you who are spiritual, 
Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted and bear one another's burdens and so mm -hmm. fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah. So in that case, you've got spiritual people, probably church leaders, ministers, elders, whoever's concerned spiritually about the person. Mm -hmm. They're going and they're talking to that person about their sin. They're, they're trying to help them come out of that sin and they're re gently restoring them, which doesn't necessarily at all mean... Mm. That person's going before the entire mm. church. Yeah. So it's not that there may not be good that would come from that. Like maybe if you sure, came forward and cleared the air and you got all the support of the congregation. It's great if somebody wants to do that. But it's on them? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not that God's not going to forgive them unless they do that. Mm. I think caring leaders could also say, look, this is a brother or sister that's been through a great struggle. Some, many of you know about that, but we want you to know that this brother or sister is no longer in that situation. They're really trying to yeah. live for the Lord, and we want you to confirm your love to them. Yeah. See? So that would be good. Now, there's two other passages that everybody goes through okay. um, that need to be addressed. First is James 5, 16. Yeah. Okay. And this one is most often misused. Read that one for us. 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. All right. So in the context of James, there was this class war between the rich and the poor. Mm -hmm. And some of the landowners, employers were um, being really hard on their employees and stuff, and some of the employees were doing really bad and violent things against their employers, and mm -hmm. some Christians were caught up in this. Right. See? And so you might have a, in the church a Christian employer or two that had really mistreated their their employees in this kind of a situation, like withholding their wages, right. doing other things. And then on the other hand, you might have some Christian employees that burned the fields or the barns of the ones that withheld their wages. Yeah. So everybody was wrong. So it's a mutual kind of admittance to... Yeah, this is to... two parties that were at war with each other Yeah. that are going to sit down with each other and really act like Christians and say, okay, I've sinned against you because I did this and I know I'm wrong and I'm sorry mm -hmm. and I want to do right and let's get along and the one... The other one said, well, I've also sinned against you, and I should never have treated you mm -hmm. that way, and it's my fault. And then they pray with each other. You've got two brothers yeah. sitting down to talk something out and pray. You don't have a person walking the aisle necessarily in church. Yeah. So it's more the I'm going to own each part of my conflict or each part that I've played in the conflict, less I'm now the better Christian. You can come to me and you know, grovel at my feet, basically, and show that you have done wrong. No, it's it's all the parties in this conflict who were wrong, and they're coming to each other, and mm. they're saying, I wronged you, I wronged you, and they're working it out together. And there may be a mediator. There may be a church mm -hmm. leader that knows them both and loves them both and says, come on, you guys, let's, let's show the world that we're different than those that are killing yeah. each other. Let's get together and... So does confess. some of this, this whole concept, does it go back to an understanding that we have all sinned and we all have sin in our life 
And so to start classifying that one sin requires coming down front while one sin is okay to be hidden away or all those things in some way, although there may be times, but in some way that is almost excusing ourself or elevating ourself or making ourself feel better in comparison to someone else's sin. Well, I believe a lot of it originates with the Roman Catholic idea of penance. Hmm. And there's a very early document called the Constitutions of the Holy Apostles in the Ananicene Fathers, that is, Church Fathers that wrote before the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. Okay. But anyway, this is probably a 3rd century, 200s A.D. document, and uh, it talks about some of these very things. And um, when it deals with this kind of a thing, it's dealing with people that have been excommunicated. Mm. And those people demonstrating their repentance in order to be readmitted to communion and readmitted to fellowship, yeah. which would be the First Corinthians 5, I was gonna say. Corinthians thing. Yeah. But um, this idea has somehow carried over, and, and some passages like James 5.16 have been misapplied taken out of their context. First John 1, 9 is the other one. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see. First John 1, 9 yeah. says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right. So again, I think many people just assume there that he's talking about some kind of a public penance, a public coming before the whole church and confessing, but there's nothing whatsoever in the context there mm. that would indicate that that's the case. He, he's talking about people that acknowledge their sins, that repent of their sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, compare that with 1 John 5.16. 5.16 says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that does lead to death, and I do not say that you should not that one should pray for that. All right, so if you're sinning a sin that you're not willing to repent of, like Saul was, mm-hmm. see, there's no need to ask God. Yeah, there's no need to make some kind of a Lord, I'm wrong, I sinned. You know, give me a break because you're not going to change. Right. See? But and that's why he says if if this person is impenitent, there's no reason to make. Mm-hmm. To, to say, you know, pray for me. God's not going to listen. Right. You know, but if they truly are penitent, then all we have to do is ask and God will hmm. give them life. So how do you how do you jive that scripture with first John one nine? Yeah. Well, the, the, the sin that you that leads to death is the one you won't confess to God. You won't repent of like Psalm 32. Yeah. But there's nothing in this that suggests a public okay. confession. So. Is any of this because we as ministers or ministers in general, is that because we're afraid to deal with stuff in public? Like, are we saying don't come down front because we don't want to deal with it? Um, I think that the questioner had in mind more ministers themselves who sin. Maybe that too. Who do not want to publicly admit their sin. Yeah. So, but, so but, like, let's go to the first one and then we can address that part of it. Yeah. Is there any of that? Like, we just don't want to deal with it, so please don't come down front? I would hope not. I think a lot of people are very willing to work with whatever 
people are going through, we mm-hmm. always say if you need for us to pray, if you need yeah. prayers about anything. Yeah, those aren't empty phrases we use. We no. actually mean it. Yeah, and, and I think that there are many trust issues in church because people feel labeled and everything, and, and you know, we can we can talk about that, but... But then to the what you were saying is some of it because, all right, so we as ministers, it's a whole lot easier for us to hide our sins if we're encouraging others to, quote-unquote, hide theirs by yeah. only confessing to God. And I think we can be an example of James 5.16. If we honestly wrong people, we should admit to those people, like mm-hmm. James 5.16, that we've wronged them. Yeah. And between those people that we've wronged, we should work that out, like James 5.16, which has nothing to do with walking down But then, you know, maybe that applies to a little bit more of, as a minister, let's say we did something wrong that did affect the whole of the congregation. Then it would be wise, it would be healthy, it would be uh, good for the church if we would simply admit it to the church Mm. and say, look, I messed up, Yeah, I'm trying to do better. Because that's, I, I want to make sure that... That's pe- not a biblical thing. That's, that's, this would be wise for the... This is a wise application, sure. but not exactly what those scriptures are it's saying. It's not a divine yeah. requirement. Because I think that. a lot of times people hear, even the last conversation we had, and they go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You confess to God, God forgives sins, but come down front because are you a coward? You know, it's almost idea. Well... If there is a sin that's going to affect your leadership as a spiritual leader, if you don't admit it, you will not be an effective spiritual leader mm. in front of the congregation because they won't trust you. So, you know, if it's known by everybody and it's it's destroyed your credibility, it would only be the wise thing to do to... Yeah. But then to say to everybody for every sin that they've had that some other member in the congregation may know about, that they have to come. Not so. Okay. But it is important to still confess it and to repent God. of it to God and possibly to other parties that you have harmed. Sure. And and this happens most naturally in spiritual relationships. Hmm. So if we're, if we're mentoring or spiritually working with somebody and we talk about stuff and, and we see something and we confront that person and they say, yeah, I do have an issue with that. And we say, look, I'll stand beside you and help you, and you know yeah. we we acknowledge that and pray about it. There's no need for that to go anywhere except be accountable to one another in some way. See, so yeah. that's that's different than what this yeah okay. question is about. So, so I guess the last thing you know we mentioned Matthew 18, and that has its own prescriptive path and and all the different things we go yep. through. But the last thing that they mentioned is. We didn't bring up Ananias and Sapphira. Circle back to kind of this more Old Testament sort of look. Does Ananias and Sapphira have anything to do with public confession? That is, again, a case where wherever that was, the apostles confronted them mm-hmm. for their sin, and they were caught in it Yeah, in that situation. And they needed to acknowledge it there, and they were punished for it, but that's not the same thing. That's more like Saul or like Achan or some yeah. of those things back there. I guess the only thing I could really tie in is because it says, and you know, the fear kind of spread throughout, so it's almost everybody knew about it. So even though they didn't confess and repent, it was a public confession of guilt or, you know, or I don't know. It's 
At least in front of those apostles, it was. Yeah. There's no indication that the entire congregation was there or anything like that. Right. So, again, it's like, did people get confronted? Yes. But does that mean that we translate that to we now need to confront all sin in the front of the auditorium on a Sunday morning? I think we've answered no I on don't that. think so. Yeah. Okay. So. I think that's us. I think that's it. So confession is needed. Like, don't get us wrong. Confession is needed. To God. To God, specifically. Sincere repentance. Yes. Even in Acts 8, you know, um, Simon the sorcerer, you know, you have no part in this matter. Your heart is not right with God. And uh, repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness and pray to God. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the thought of your heart may be. So that was Peter's advice. Yeah. But then uh, the Simon the sorcerer said, well, I... You know, that's fine, but would you please pray for me? But that in no way, mm. Peter's instruction was repent and ask God to forgive you. Yeah. Boom. We're out of here. <laughs> if only it was that easy in it every is. conversation. Boom. We're out of here. Yeah. So. Sayonara. So, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, I just wanted to round it out by saying I love having this discussion because it is a rubber meets the road, what do we do with sin sure. personally, publicly, corporately, all these different ways. But I think it's always important to not just start grabbing a whole bunch of stories and then saying that applies here. Well, that publican, you know, in Luke 18, he was just standing before God and he fell down and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he went down justified. So yeah, can we use that one in this? I don't know. Mm. Anyway. So there oh, we get go. Right, church. Now let's go home. We're glad you're watching. We're glad you're commenting. Even when it's that sort of back and forth of well, what about, well, what about? We love addressing those things. And sometimes there's enough of it that we'll have a big, long conversation like this, even if it's three years later. But then even more than that, we, we send messages all the time to individuals. I think we need to preach the same thing periodically and maybe not even wait three years. Okay, bye. We'll see you all next time. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, broadwaycoc.com.